It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a beautiful day out there. The summer does appear to be upon us and I've got some very good news for you. Coming up in this show, Anne Widdicombe's going to join us, uh, former MEP and government minister, of course. She's got a column uh, in the Express today in which she says, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Well, you can imagine who she's talking about. Uh, the Boris Johnson debacle continues. We've got uh, people from the Cabinet Office leaking details of a diary to the police saying the police should investigate Boris Johnson uh, for whatever it was he did during lockdown, apparently broke the rule of six or was it sex down in checkers nobody's quite sure uh, does anybody really care at this point i don't think i do uh, certainly if you go all the way through whatever it was that he is supposed to have done all that will happen is he will be handed some kind of fine uh, which he will pay uh, like a penalty charge notice that you get for parking in the wrong place it really is not what we should be wasting our time on in this day and age surely we've got more important things to think about like tomorrow's migration figures which are going to be released around about 9.30 uh, in which we will discover probably somewhere between 750,000 and a million people have come to this country completely and utterly legally either to work or to study uh, or to come as a dependent of somebody coming to work or to study. We'll be talking about Prince Harry this morning as well. Uh, it looks as though his failed attempt to get police protection is going to cost the taxpayer around about £300,000 and possibly more uh, if we're not careful. We'll also find out whether Justin Welby was right to say uh, that he should interfere uh, in the Channel Crossings uh, argument. He says he should have done. Uh, I say he shouldn't have. Uh, and we'll, fi- we'll finally find out exactly what happens today at Prime Minister's questions as well. After 12 o'clock, uh, Peter Cardwell will be checking that one for us. Also, of course, inflation has fallen. We'll find out what that's all about. Jamie Jenkins joins us with that particular scenario. But let me put this to you this morning. Imagine what it must be like to be a police officer in this great land of ours, waking up this morning and wondering whether you want to go to work. We've got problems in Cardiff where the police are under pressure to reveal why it is that they said originally there was nobody chasing two boys on a motorcycle or an electric bike, rather, uh, when it turned out there were. Uh, you've got the situation up in um, uh, with the Duchess of Edinburgh uh, where somebody was killed by a police outrider, a police car that hit a member of the public. We've got the Just Stop Oil Brigade walking around London very, very slowly, holding up all the traffic, causing outrage amongst motorists and people who are trying to go to work. But if you're a police officer this morning, I just wonder whether you're thinking, maybe I'll just stay under the duvet. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Much more besides, of course. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Inflation's down as well. Another piece of good news. Uh, 8.7% in April, apparently. Uh, so if you are out there demanding a pay rise of about 38,000% because you're a doctor and you haven't had enough money for a long time, you can perhaps uh, reduce your bills somewhat. You can reduce your demand somewhat and you can perhaps take a little bit less from the government. Let's say a very good morning to Anne Widdicombe. Anne, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Hi, Mike. Very nice to see you. Um, I think uh, the great thing about your column is that uh, it could refer to all manner of things, but for you to say with friends like that, who needs enemies? On this occasion, you're talking about the European Union, right? Yes. 
Uh, indeed. I mean, Rishi Sunak appears to be under the impression that they're friends and that we shouldn't have competition between friends. Yes. Uh, first of all, the EU are patently, obviously, not our friends, given you know their record and what they've done to us since we left. I mean, the, that is clear. Secondly, the idea you don't have competition among friends, as I've said to Rishi Sunak, he's a politician. Yeah. He's been competing all his life. And if it hasn't been with friends, then he must have a huge number of enemies. <laughs> well, I mean, you can look around the Tory party and wonder whether your column was actually referring to them as well, because we've gone back to the future, haven't we, with this ridiculous sort of probe into Boris Johnson at Chequers. Why on earth would anybody care what it was that he did at this point? And why would they even, you know, investigate their navel in this way? Uh, I mean, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, as if the police haven't got enough to do. Uh, and now they're going to have this and they're going to have all the political pressure that will come with it. Uh, and, it, you know, about something that happened in, in the now, you know, very well established past. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I do believe this is politically motivated because it, it is just so against the laws of common sense that you wouldn't do it for any other reason. Well, exactly right. And the timing of it surely would suggest that that is true because all of this is to, is to be done before the kind of uh, the committee, uh, the parliamentary committee that Boris Johnson appeared before makes its ruling. And the idea of this is obviously to try and put pressure on them to say, well, clearly he's guilty of more than you were even looking into. Oh, and I mean, if they, you know, if they start saying that they're going to look at this as well as part of their investigations into Partygate, then that is a reason to string out the whole thing, which they have been doing anyway, uh, ever since this investigation was first announced. And don't forget, it's being run by somebody in the person of Harriet Holman, yes. who herself pronounced on Boris's guild even before she was appointed. Yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of hypocrisy around. I mean, it seems to me there's more hypocrisy now than there was when you were an MP. Do you think that's right? Yes, I do think that's right. Our standards have declined vastly. Now, um, you know, I don't think that everything was all roses in the garden while I was an MP, uh, but we didn't use the civil service in this political fashion. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly would have been an absolute no-no, and any head of the civil service would have made it a no-no. Right. Uh, so that certainly declined. But also, I mean, you know, the focus now is on what I call the politics of personal destruction. You know, we're always concerned with some wrongdoing, even when it's very, very trivial. Yes. We're always concerned with that, uh, instead of with the high policies, which are what actually matter. Well, look at all the things. I mean, I was away for a few days in America. Look at all the stories that have been important political stories. Boris Johnson may or may not have had more friends than he should have had down to check us. So, well, Braverman may or may not have asked the wrong civil servant whether she should have an opportunity to not take um, a Zoom class on, on speeding. You know, these are not the sorts of conversations we should be having when we are in the depths of a sort of, you know, economic pitfall of despair. Uh, and when we've got with immigration issues to source out and we've got jobs to source out and all the rest of it. Uh, indeed, and it's a combination of Parliament doing this and, I'm afraid, your profession, the press and media. Yes, no, I blame uh, the press and media, but obviously I am uh, spotless in this. I do not do that. I'd say, uh, I say it as I see it, and I think all of this is trivial nonsense. Suella Braverman apparently today uh, is going to be told that she's not going to lose her job, which is good, but it won't stop, uh, you know, those in the civil service and, and her enemies from trying to take her down. Well, there should never have been any question of losing her job. Uh, she got a speeding ticket. Um, she was offered the chance uh, to avoid points by taking uh, a speed awareness course. Yeah. When she realised that this would be public and that, you know, she would just be even more in, in, in the public glare, she asked if there was any way of, of, of doing a one-to-one. -one. That's all she asked. She didn't say she wanted a one-to-one. -one. She didn't say change the rules. She didn't say any of that. She just said, 
Is there any possibility yeah. there at all? What's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with it at all, but the, the, the sort of derangement syndrome, which seems to follow the Tory party around, some of which exist in their own party, suggests that uh, people will not be satisfied until they've taken all of the Brexiteers out of the Cabinet and, and, and put them firmly back on the back benches. Yes, well, they want to be very, very careful because there's a huge amount of disillusionment out there in the country at the moment, as people are realising that what's gone wrong is not Brexit but what the politicians have done with Brexit. Yes. Uh, and, you know, any more persecution of people merely because they voted Brexit, and, and I think it will rebound, it will rebound on the Tory party, and, and they deserve it. Yeah, absolutely right. I see, by the way, just in case you thought the Lib Dems hadn't completely gone away and had become incredibly sensible, that Ed Davies back in the news today, uh, having given an interview in which he says it's very clear uh, that some women can have penises. You know, when are they going to well, stop with this rubbish? Well, the man is completely mad. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Keir Starmer, uh, he says that, you know, 90% or 99% or whatever it is, yeah. uh, do not have such uh, appendages. None of them have. 100% don't have. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, this is idiotic. This is trying to redefine basic human biology. Yeah. And these people want to run the country. They want to run the country. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? They can't even tell you which toilet to go to, but they think that they can be in charge of international policy um, and migration. Speaking of which, let's talk about the Albanian deal. Um, are you in favour, generally speaking, of us paying other countries to lock up their own people who have committed crimes in our country? What should we well, be I'm doing? In, I mean, what I am in favour of is getting deals which enable us to return other people's nationals swiftly. I mean, that has been what the problem is. Mm. Uh, we've, uh, we've got people here. We know where they've come from. Um, we can't send them back uh, unless that country recognises them as nationals. And that's been a problem for a long time. So any deal with, with, which facilitates that, uh, I'm in favour of. But I, I take your point. You know, they, they should be doing this anyway. Well, they should. I mean, if it's cheaper for us to build prisons in Albania and house prisoners in Albania, in Albanian prisons, then that's fine. And I get that that's probably a better deal than housing them here. But my next question would then be, why can we not build prisons here as cheaply as they can in Albania? Well, the fact is we should be building more prisons here, uh, regardless of whether we can do it cheaply or not, mm. uh, because we have uh, an excess of the prison population uh, and we've got the usual thing of trying to put pressure on the courts not to send people to prison. That is not what we should be doing. I was faced with a huge surge in the prison population in my time as prisons minister. Yeah. I brought in a prison ship mm. from the United States. I took Norwegian oil cabins and put them down in medium security prisons. Uh, that is cabins from Norwegian oil rigs. I did all of that because I knew we needed more space. I didn't say to the courts, don't send people to prison. Absolutely right. Stay with us, Anne, if you would. I want to talk to you about foxes. I want to talk to you about the police because the big question today, as Just Stop Oil are out there, getting arrested today, apparently. It looks like the police may have changed their tactics slightly. We'll bring you more on that uh, very shortly. But if you're out there and you're watching Just Stop Oil, do let us know uh, what you're seeing. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Back with Anne Whittacombe with more after this. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got some footage coming up in a little while of Just Stop Oil apparently being arrested this morning by uh, several members of the Metropolitan Police. It's quite an interesting uh, little video. It looks as though they might have changed their tactics after what happened yesterday because, as I said yesterday, what they don't want uh, is a situation where a breach of the peace is literally going to happen every single time they start marching slowly because motorists are so fed up with them. And I said, uh, we're with Anne Whittacombe, by the way, I said this morning, Anne, uh, uh, it must be difficult right now to wake up in the morning 
morning and be a police officer because everywhere you look, you know, you're kind of getting hatred from all sides. And I know that we're critical of them when they do something wrong, but they do have an important job. Um, we've seen what happened in Cardiff. It looks as though, you know, they might have mishandled something there at the beginning, but it's not clear. Um, we saw yesterday from Just Stop Oil protesters um, that the police ended up arresting somebody who was trying to, you know, push them out of the way so that he could drive his car quite legitimately. Um, what do you make of uh, the state of the police in this country? Well, first of all, just very briefly on uh, Just Stop Oil. I've never understood why the police haven't been arresting them throughout on the basis that it is conduct likely to cause a breach of the peace. Exactly. You don't have to wait for a breach of the peace to happen. Mm. Uh, you can arrest uh, citizens uh, who are likely to cause a breach of the peace. I've never understood why they hand the, the, the just, just mm. double uh, protesters uh, with kid gloves. But on your wider point, mm. um, yes, I mean, the police uh, do excellent jobs in many respects. We should remember that police officers lose their lives in the service of yes. the public. And many, and many of them were injured the other night in Cardiff. And, and, you know, they do join up to fight crime. But what happens after that is that, I mean, it's, it's, it's coming top down. All the emphasis is on political correctness hmm. uh, and not on what the coppers basically joined up for, which was to fight crime. Yes. The and rest of us safe. And that is the problem. And, and I mean, they're always going to suffer and struggle to get uh, proper police officers recruited um, if they don't look as if they kind of look after their own, if you like. Well, police recruitment has, has been a problem for many, many years now. There's, there's nothing new about that. Um, and it's nothing to do with pay and rations. It is completely to do with the job. The job used to be one that was profoundly respected throughout society. You know, people felt very strongly on behalf of the police and would defend the police. Uh, and now the exact reverse is true, and, and that's level. Yes, well, we've got some good news for you this morning because I think we have now obtained uh, this video from the streets of London, how the police are treating them this morning. Let's have a look. Yeah, I've got court tomorrow. Okay, I need to go to Cleveland tomorrow. Try to release me overnight if you can. Can I ask you who the arresting officer is? Are you the arresting officer? Yeah. Okay. Guys, did you read out the section 12 conditions? It's already read out. Yes, I didn't hear anything about Section 12. Well, maybe you weren't listening properly. Um, you know, I'm sorry, I don't really uh, have any interest in all of these people, the sort of barrack room lawyers, talking about what they know about the law and how they can't be arrested. You know, the police are there trying to do a job uh, with relative calm. Um, you know, if it was me, I'd be slamming them up against the wall and see how you like that, mate. Uh, we'll see if we can let you go in the morning for your court appearance. You know, get lost. I'm concerned what the police were doing then. They should be doing all the time. Yeah. All of, you know, they should be out in force dealing with it every time this arises. That would soon get the message home. And it yeah. would particularly get the message home if the courts would get tough. Yeah. And actually, you know, take them out of society. Well, if these sort of middle class Che Guevara wannabes actually got arrested every time they went out, they'd soon stop going out, wouldn't they? Spend a couple of nights in the cells uh, and they wouldn't like it very much. Uh, indeed. But I think my point goes beyond that, which I would expect the court to actually 
uh, see that they spent time in prison. Yes. Uh, and that really would deter them. Uh, and particularly, you know, it can impact on travel. It can impact on lots of things. Uh, it's not to be taken lightly if you go to prison. They should believe that that is what will happen yeah. if they do this sort of thing. Nobody wants to stop their right to hold up banners. Nobody wants to stop their rights to free speech. What we want to stop is holding up the rest of us right. from going about our daily business. And, and as you say, potentially causing a breach of the peace, as we saw yesterday on Black Friday's Bridge, yeah. we're just looking at it now, you know, that many, many, many more motorists will start doing that. And they'll say, you know, so the only way to stop that from happening is to prevent the marching. Well, indeed. And as I say, you know, there's always been, always been a provision for conduct likely to cause uh, a breach of the peace. And these people have been doing it and getting away with it for a very long time. Mm. So I'm quite glad the police have finally woken up. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, we've been dealing with these people for a long time, as you say. First it was Extinction Rebellion, then it was Animal Rebellion pouring milk out on the floor of Harrods, and then it was this crazed crazed lot. You know, and the message is, frankly, not getting across to the general public. The general public is sick to death of them, fed up to the back teeth with what they do. And they're all just really a collection of sort of, you know, as I say, wannabe Che Guevara's who go back to their leafy suburban homes in the evening and, and think they've all done a wonderful thing to save the planet. Well, they're not doing anything of the sort. No, of course they're not. And, and, and I don't think some of them, I mean, some of them may be entirely sincere about what they think they're doing. Uh, but I think some of them, uh, uh, you know, do this sort of thing all the time. They're, they're political activists. Yes. Um, but it's not promoting their cause, not doing their cause any good at all. No, it really isn't. Talking of causes, I see you've written about foxes today, uh, and I must say I'm completely in agreement with you. Um, as far as you uh, uh, were reporting, a group of 103 vets has written to the government claiming the population of red foxes has plummeted since the introduction of the 2004 Hunting Act. Well, they obviously haven't been to Southwark recently because you can't move for foxes around the back of Guy's Hospital. There's literally thousands of them. But the fact is that the 2004 Act is, is not a defining line the red fox population in this country has declined by about 40% since 1995, mm. not 2004. And for the last 10 years, there's been virtually no movement in rural fox populations, but there's been a huge increase in urban fox populations. Massive, massive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, so I mean, there are family, entire families of foxes living in sort of car parks, living in parks in the middle of London. There's literally, you know, you can't move for them. Yeah, and what are these vets suggesting? That we have a hunt down Whitehall or something? I mean, don't be ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, what can you do with urban foxes? I mean, you're not allowed to poison them anymore. That's why we've got these super rats running around like crazy, because apparently it's against the environmentally friendly policies of most councils to actually do anything at all uh, that might harm an animal. Well, if they can manage a budget cull, they can manage a fox cull. Yeah. Well, exactly right. Um, you know, but my point is that you do not need the cruelty of hunting. Uh, to kill a fox. Yes. Uh, and in fact, when the Hunting Act was passed, it was pointed out, and it was an official figure, it wasn't the invention of, of any anti-hunter, mm. uh, that 94% of all fox destruction was not achieved by hunting. So if it is a pesticide, it's a very ineffective one. Yeah, absolutely right. So we've got a bit of breaking news. As I predicted, Rishi Sunak has said that Suella Bravman's actions over her speeding ticket do not amount, uh, in his words, to a breach of the ministerial code. But he told the Home Secretary a better course of action could have been taken to avoid giving rise to the perception of impropriety. So she's, uh, uh, she's still there. Uh, yeah, but I'm amazed that he's wasted his time on this at all. If I'd been the Prime Minister, I should have said nothing to see here and moved on right away. Yeah, As exactly. I said earlier on, you know, what is wrong with asking a question? It is different if you try to actually get processes altered. 
Uh, but what is wrong with asking the question? Is it possible to do a one-to-one? Yeah. Only a question. Well, also, do you know what somebody said to me yesterday, which I thought was an interesting point, is if she is asking for advice from her civil servants, perhaps she gets on better with them than everybody says she does. Uh, <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Just one from left field. Finally, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey is giving a speech uh, this morning as inflation goes down to 8.7%. Words that I never thought I'd actually say, but uh, it does sound like we're moving in the right direction. Well, I, I, I think we are moving in the right direction. I think it will be slow. Uh, and as your report pointed out, and, and people should always understand, the fact that inflation is coming down doesn't mean that prices are coming down or even stabilising. just means they're going up less fast. Mm. So we've still got a problem. But we had low inflation for decades. We've had whole generations believing this is the norm. Of course, it isn't mm. from time to time. You know, all countries will face inflation. And we've had a whole you know, gathering of circumstances uh, which have led to this. Yes, well, let's hope we're in the right direction. And before long, uh, we'll be down back around about 5%. But uh, we can but hope. And good to see you again. Thank you very much indeed. Brilliant. And Whittaker, former MEP, government minister. She's got a column today in the Express. You might want to go read that. Uh, but there's a fantastic... Uh, matters arising from what we've just been talking about there in terms of the way politics is being conducted in this country in fact in terms of the way that sort of Bravman is still in the job that will absolutely ruin lots of people's days today that she's still in the job sorry about that Remainers uh, sorry about that The Blob sorry about that uh, Sir Keir Starmer this is Talk TV on DAB Plus on the app Talk Radio and Talk TV Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got lots going on, plenty to talk about, of course. We'll be talking to Robert Olds coming up about Migration Nation, the state of play. Uh, tomorrow, of course, we get the figures from uh, the Centre for Policy Studies and from the Home Office to find out precisely how close to a million people uh, came in 2022. And that's entirely legally, by the way, not illegally. Oliver Whitfield Majic is down in Cardiff for us as well. We'll talk to him about the latest news from there. Jamie Jenkins joins us now, though, uh, from Welsh Wales, independent statistician, of course, because uh, the inflation figures that came out this morning would suggest that we are now moving uh, certainly below 10%, down to 8.7%. Um, Jamie's had a quick look at the numbers and he's run the line over them and he's going to tell us why uh, we've managed to get it down to 8.7% and what it's all about. Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So it's not just prices being going up. I see the last couple of weeks your viewing and listening figures have been Well, it has. Well, up. we've got massive inflation here at Talk TV. No, no surprise <laughs> yeah. there. But, uh, you know, thank you very much for mentioning it. But, uh, yeah, um, happy to see uh, inflation down below 10%. Thankfully, uh, it seems like it's moving in the right direction. But you've looked at, at what's been happening. Why, why has it happened? Yeah, so I think that the kind of the headline stories is inflation's coming down. As, as as you were just discussing with Anne there, remember, you know, it doesn't mean prices are coming down. No. It just means that they're not going up as much as what they were before. So they're down from 10.1% last month. So that was when we were comparing March 2023 with March 2022, down to 8.7%. But Mike, it's, it's, it's in clear, uh, clearly predictable, this was, because what you've got to remember is the way the inflation figures are done, you get a basket of goods, so the so the ONS will take a, a range of different goods in the economy, put them in a kind of a basket, and then you will look at what's the prices of that basket now compared to a year earlier. And and the big thing you got to remember is last April, and um, with the off-gem price cap in April 2022, we saw a big rise in the energy prices last mm. April. So so when you compare April 2022 to all the months before, we had big inflation, and then every month since, so May 2022, June 2022. All the way up to March 2022, uh, 2023, Mike, has been comparing this kind of basket with this mm. big energy bulk price going into it. 
with a year earlier. Now, because today's figures are comparing April 2023 to that bigger basket that we had in April 2022, that just means that the prices, when you compare the two, aren't going up as much. This is entirely driven by the energy price. It's completely predictable. It's why Sunak and Jeremy Hunt are saying they got a plan to get inflation down by because it's naturally going to fall through this year because of this kind of quirk of way that the numbers are calculated. And the big thing is, Mike, if you look at core inflation, so that's when you take out food and energy prices, that's actually gone up. So it's gone from 6.2% to 6.8%, highest since 1992. So that's a bit of a worry, but that also is impacted. But obviously, everything in the economy, it uses energy, will be impacted because obviously, even if you're just working in a bakery and, and doing things like that, your energy prices have gone up to your prices. So everything else goes through with yes. that. Yes. I mean, we hear a lot about uh, price inflation on food. But which again is sort of driven by the energy prices because when we see petrol and diesel going back down, um, that doesn't seem to be reflected in the energy price. I suppose they would say that's because we have to take into account the price of gas. Yeah. So we, when you look at the petrol prices, I think we spoke many times over the last few years of of the energy, uh, the, the petrol prices. They come down from those kind of nearly two pounds back to closer to like one pound fifty, one pound forty right. across the country. So that's been helping to control inflation. Actually, it would have been much higher in recent months had we not had that in, in the numbers. And and with the energy prices, they're still up. So if we take the, the kind of, if you look at March 2023 compared to March 2022, energy was about 86% higher. Now, because in April 2023 compared to a year earlier, it's 24% higher. So obviously 86% is much higher than the 24. That's why inflation, I think, Mike, as we go through the year, the, the way the wholesale gas price is going um, and the kind of they buy the, energy on the market in a bit of an advance. But the way that wholesale market is going, Mike, I think you've been discussing this many times, we should see energy prices coming down even further throughout the rest of the year. And that's pretty much going to be what drives inflation back down towards that 5, 4, 3, 2, 1% over the next couple of years. And as we've said before, um, it only means that prices are not going up as much as they were. Will the prices ever come back down? Because a lot of people worry that, you know, the the, the price of the, uh, the food basket that you pick up on a Saturday isn't ever going to get any cheaper ever again. Well, if competition uh, comes into force, Mike, you, you may see that in the medium to long term. I, I expect the energy price to come down. Uh, we probably hit the peak now and they'll come down. So by winter this year, it'll be much lower than what we were paying in winter last year. So that's mm. one good thing. And then with those prices coming down, that will then feed through to other parts of the economy. But I, I, the, the big thing is, Mike, I think for, for most of the economy, you don't tend to see much of the prices coming down. So we've pretty much got a lot of this baked in, I think, for other parts of the yeah. economy. And that's the sad thing. Obviously, people are talking about inflation coming down. But as I say, unless you get deflation, that's when prices overall in the economy are coming down. That's kind of what you do need. But I think we're in a new normal now. Right. Into the prices that but we don't got. want that, do we? Because when prices start to get deflated, if you like, rather than inflated, it sort of causes one of those kind of weird black hole economies, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's where you start getting some uncertainty in the economy. Yeah, and, you, and you don't want those shocks. Mm. Ultimately, as I say, the Bank of England have got a target to try and keep inflation at around that two, two and a half percent, because it gives you some stability. Wages can go up about two, two and a half percent and just trying to think along with some stability, Mike. But as you know, Bank of England have been putting interest rates up successively for month after month after month. I've been calling this out, discussing with you that a lot of this, as you see, the inflation coming down today is all driven by the supply side, which is obviously the energy. If energy comes down, you'd expect food to start coming down. We're seeing food inflation come down slightly today, Mike. We're a little bit behind some of Europe. Inflation for food in the UK has been similar to Europe. So nothing to do with Brexit, really. Mm. People have been blaming that. 
So I would expect... Well, when I was in France food. recently, the food was actually more expensive there than it was here. But luckily, the wine was cheaper. Well, that's one of the good things about going abroad, Mike. It's normally the wine. And what was the prices in the US where you've just been? Um, I didn't really do much sort of supermarket shopping there, but you know, the US has been quite an expensive country for me anyway for quite a long time. You know, when I lived in New York in the eighties, it was relatively seemed cheaper, but the cost of living in America has gone up quite substantially. I would say, you know, you're paying a lot more to go out. You're paying a lot, lot less for petrol, mind you. You know, uh, still you can fill a tank of uh, a, a regular car up there for about sort of less than forty quid. Um, which you could never do here. And the US is an important part of this uh, mm. kind of whole story, actually, Mike, because it's the Fed in the United States that have been increasing interest rates over the last kind of 18 months. And the Bank of England, they keep saying, oh, well, we need to increase interest rates to curb inflation. But when you look at it on face value, they're only increasing interest rates to follow what the US are doing because imports become more expensive because a lot of things are priced in dollars. So mm. if the US starts cutting their interest rates, we should start following pretty much not long after that. And ultimately, that's what we really need. Some people have said interest rates have been too low for too long. But you've got to remember, there's a lot of people over the last decade have bought houses mm. based on what the interest rates are. And those going up has to knock on effect, not just on the housing market in terms of your mortgage payments, but people who are privately renting, their private rents are going up as well. So that stability is much, much needed. And we should get that towards the end yeah. of the year. I mean, private rent prices are going up, but I've noticed also in London, in certain parts of London, um, prices to buy have come down quite dramatically, some places between 10 and 20%. So, you know, the overinflated prices, if you like, of property in some parts of Britain is start, starting to be corrected a bit. And that is pretty much what you need. You don't want a house pricing crash pretty much across the board, but... You can clearly see, you know, London and, and parts of the southeast way, way overheating in terms of the uh, kind of the house prices over the last. And ironically, that, a lot of that's linked to what we'll be discussing in a bit more detail tomorrow, Mike, mm. because with the migration figures, if you look at house building and the ratio of kind of your earnings to kind of the house price is about three and a half percent back in 1997, yeah. three, three and a half times, I say, mm. the house price to your earnings in 1997 is now over eight times. So high levels of immigration does have that impact more broadly. And I'm sure that's the story you'll be talking about tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Jamie, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins there on the subject of inflation falling to 8.7% announced today by the Bank of England. Um, they have, of course, blamed the weather uh, for getting it wrong in the past. Um, also, uh, coming up a little bit later on today, the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey is giving a speech at the Net Zero Delivery Summit in central London. Uh, well, here's an idea for you, Andrew. Why don't you get rid of the Net Zero Delivery uh, idea altogether? And then perhaps the economy might recover and people might have a bit more money because they won't have to pay for the Net Zero madness. Possibly. Just an idea. Do you know what I'm saying? Coming up, we'll take some calls. We'll tell you more uh, about Sir Ed Davey and his rather ludicrous outburst about women only the other day. Uh, and, of course, we'll have much more besides as you talk to you. And Talk TV. Online on DAB+. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Prime Minister's questions coming up, of course, after midday. Uh, we'll check in with that. Uh, and Peter Cardwell, Talk Radio's political editor. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So don't forget to subscribe to the Independent Republican Mike Graham podcast so you never miss a moment from the show. Uh, we've now hit 9 million downloads on that, by the way. So if you haven't joined in that particular club, uh, you should get on it because you miss nothing from the show. We get an extra half an hour bonus with Peter Hitchens on a Monday, an extra half an hour bonus with Rod Little on a Thursday. Uh, and of course, the show podcast every single day, every afternoon, as soon as you... Uh, finish listening to the show or watching it uh, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast downloads and subscribe to it uh, and let's get it to 10 million why not you know it's a thing of great beauty let us speak now to robert olds director of the bruges group of course because tomorrow uh, we expect to get something that we have been um, prepared for i suppose for the best part of a week maybe two uh, the final figures coming through uh, from the home office of exactly how many people have come to this country legally, not illegally, not on the small boats, not uh, across the channel, um, not coming here uh, without being invited, but actually coming here with permission, either with a visa for some kind of um, educational course or with a visa for work purposes as well. Robert, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. We're told the figure will be somewhere between 750 and a million. I mean, whichever one of those figures it's closest to, it's still a hell of a lot of people. Um, and it seems that uh, most people in the country have decided that actually it's too many, isn't it? Absolutely. And this is not just 750 or a million people coming recently. There is also whole backlog of people who have arrived. Indeed, when Britain exited the European Union, five million former European Union residents applied for British citizenship and permanent leave to remain in the UK as part mm. of where citizenship would be granted, where permanent uh, residents in the UK would be therefore allowed. These are absolutely millions of people coming to Britain. And we talk about a housing crisis, mm. the need to build on the green belt. There's a reason for that. It's because, of course, the demand and we talk about higher rents. Again, that's driven by a number of factors, most notably, of course, demand. Demand is pushing up prices for housing and, of course, restricting the ability of our services to provide. We see people uh, unable to get their children into schools in the southern counties of England because there is so much pressure and space is reserved for, in this case, illegal immigrants mm. coming crossing crossing the channel in many cases it would be adults uh, pretending to be children that happens all too often but of course there's also the legal migration as you rightly said and that actually even dwarfs the amount of people coming here in those small boats uh, across the english channel yeah. which is not to say that that's an insignificant number because it isn't you know there could be a hundred thousand of them coming this year alone because even as we speak you know the, the 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 weather looks pretty calm the sea will be reasonably calm it's a good day for a crossing uh, if you like but one of the things that people say sort of in defense of this figure that we'll get tomorrow is that a lot of those people are from ukraine a lot of them are from hong kong some of them are from uh, afghanistan but even so You'd still be looking at a good sort of six to seven hundred thousand people, wouldn't you, who 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 are coming to study and to work? Yeah, there reaches a point when Britain's um, 
neighbourliness, its uh, its duty to the rest of the world has been, has been reached, and other countries should share a lot of the burden. Mm. It says a lot that about the UK that so many people want to come here, but of course they will be brought here and they will be in large many cases exploited either in the black economy or indeed uh, just taking low wage, low skilled jobs, which pushes down the uh, wages for the for the least well off in mm. low productivity and this has been known a report by the bank of england of 2016 said that our productivity in the uk is being damaged by the reliance on low skilled low wage jobs that has to end and people need to get getting a, a decent salary part of that is to increase the value of labor by restricting its supply but there's also these legal routes into the uk which are being exploited such as education right People will come here purportedly as students, but of course, in many cases, uh, doing postgraduate degrees, the real aim is indeed to bring over family members. Right. Not not for everyone, of course, but this has been a sharp increase recently of postgraduate students coming to the UK and bringing over their families. That has to be switched off as well, because it seems yeah. that people smugglers, those that exploit immigration for their own economic ends, have identified this as a loophole and are naturally exploiting it. And the government is going to take action on that, but not not, not soon enough. Right. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the Home Office and Suella Braverman have said this week that they would like to see a curb on some of the dependents that are allowed to be brought here for certain subjects. But you'd have to be a bit of a naive fool, would you not, to believe that everyone saying they're coming here to study is actually coming here to study. Why do they have to come here to study? I mean, you can do it online. Indeed. Of course, Britain does have a superb education sector and our higher education is amongst the best in the world. But 138,000 people coming here as dependents. Yeah. And I, no doubt, went to went to university. And part of the attraction, probably in, perhaps in many people's cases, is to go and live their lives away from their families. So you don't actually need to bring your family over yeah. or indeed going to study. That's quite... That, that, that will be known by many people. And these, these are routes that are being exploited. And the legal immigration, which was largely opened up by the Blair government in 1997 and hasn't been switched off since, even after the 13 years of uh, conservative-led rule, has been exceptionally high. And we've done our, our bit. There's a, there's, Britain is largely under a lot of, lot of pressure mm. in terms England being amongst the most crowded nations in the world and Britain also, there's only so much we can we can we can take. In terms of course there's economic problems that can come with low skilled immigration, there's pressure on social services, and there's also community cohesion that needs to be considered. Mm. And so Braverman is very live to this. She understands these issues and something needs to be done. Unfortunately, for the for the Conservative Party, it may be a little bit too late because this is a, an issue they promised to get to grips on in their earlier manifestos, where, which they were elected. And they need to be taking action now because an election now is just, well, 18 months away. Yeah, exactly right. And we can't have it both ways. You know, you've got the sort of lefty lawyers saying, oh, there's only uh, one way to come to this country. There are no safe legal routes. Well, apparently there are some very safe legal routes because a million people are going to be coming on those routes. And secondly, uh, we're always told, oh, but we take far fewer uh, migrants and asylum seekers than other countries in Europe. But actually other countries in Europe uh, reject many more than we reject as well. So, again, the both of those things can't be true indeed britain is seen as a as a soft touch it's somewhere where Brit people come to for for work they're, they're they're largely smuggled in in many cases 
and of course also following those those legal mm. legal routes. People can come here legally, work visas are granted, but we start need to start giving priority to those who are already here. The, the, these are difficult times. Inflation is still stubbornly high. We have economic problems still taking in more people to that which will effectively lower the wage wages to the least well off isn't the best way forward indeed britain has done our bit we've contributed so much to to the world but it's mm. time we need to focus on those who are in in the uk and stop this endless pressure on services yeah i think most people would agree with that robert thanks very much indeed we look out for those uh, figures tomorrow of course as they come out uh, from the home office will it be a million will it be seven hundred fifty thousand? whatever the figure is it's going to be pretty high and we're going to be examining all of that on the show tomorrow right here on the independent republic of mike graham that was robert olds director uh, of the bruges group coming up uh, we're going to be speaking more um, about the situation regarding uh, what's going on on our roads because incredible story today uh, that 52,000 motorists had their cars damaged by potholes in one month alone, the month of April. That's 2,000 a day practically. Unbelievable stuff. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Nick says this, the UK public don't want to see our politicians falling out of the civil service. We expect more and they are supposed to be adults, not juveniles. Well, I think that's right. The bottom line, I think, for most people is that you expect the people who you elect to run the country to get on with running the country, not to spend most of their time uh, sort of up to their knees in poison, trying to poison one another and trying to sort of uh, cut one another off at the knees and trying to get the dirty deed done on one another. For example, whether the feud is between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson uh, or Boris Johnson and Sue Gray or Keir Starmer and Sue Gray uh, or Ed Davey and Keir Starmer. You know, just get on with the job that we're paying you to do. Uh, Here's one from Sue in Cheshire. At the beginning of the pandemic, Boris Johnson wanted herd immunity but was slapped down by the government. So he followed the science and has been paying the price ever since. Why are we not going after the scientists? Well, it's a very good question. Worse than that, some of the so-called scientists, and I include Neil Ferguson in that, who was the professor at SAGE, right? He's not really a scientist. He's a behavioural scientist, which is not quite the same. He's a psychologist, in other words, and he was trying to influence the way that people did things. This is the same guy uh, that thought it was okay to go and have um, sex with somebody who wasn't his wife uh, during the pandemic lockdown. That was fine, apparently, for him. Um, She was a German model. Something like that. Anyway, it turns out, right, that he's still employed by SAGE and he's still quoted in articles about herd immunity. He's still quoted in articles about bird flu. Uh, He issued some kind of warning that half a million people were going to die. I mean, this bloke is a joke. He doesn't get anything right. He's never got anything right. But he still has a job. He's still advising government. He's still advising Imperial College. Boris Johnson is the guy who doesn't have a job anymore. um, And he's still being hounded. Whatever job he's got. Extraordinary. Let's talk to Emma Revel, Head of Communications and Public Affairs at the Centre for Policy Studies, uh, because we've got plenty to discuss. Car tax plans would see electric vehicles pay per mile. Um, UK drivers are being treated like cash cows. We've been saying that for a long time. And extraordinarily, this one particular story caught my eye this morning, potholes, according to the AA, uh, reaching epic proportions. 52,000 motorists have had vehicles that were damaged by potholes in April alone. And that's up 29% on the same month last year. Let's find out from Emma what is going on. Emma, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. So the Centre for Policy Studies has been a bit busy this uh, this quarter. I mean, you've got this big migration report coming out. Uh, today you've got another report on uh, the cash cow motorist. Tell us about it. Yeah, we like to keep busy. <laughs> um, so basically, the report that's out today, the future of driving, basically acknowledges that Britain is a nation of drivers. 
So 88% of the miles travelled in 2021 were by car, van or taxi. So driving is far and away the most popular way to get around the UK. Mm. But at the same time, we have a problem with congestion, with pollution and with falling receipts for the Treasury. Because in the last financial year, drivers paid £33 billion in fuel duty and in vehicle excise duty, so road tax. Um, But only £12 of that was actually reinvested in local and national roads. So drivers are paying a lot more than, you know, is being given back to them. Mm. So one of the things that we're suggesting as a way to create a fairer system is a pay per mile driven charge. So it'd be a flat rate for every mile you drive, you would pay. We would suggest starting with electric vehicles who don't currently pay fuel duty and they don't currently pay vehicle excise duty. And saying, okay, we'll we'll trial it with you. You will still pay a lot, lot less than diesel and petrol drivers, which is, you know, one of the reasons that people like to buy electric vehicles is they're getting a better deal and helping the environment. Mm. And saying, okay, you're contributing because your cars at the end of the day are still putting wear on the roads. They're a lot heavier, so making potholes a lot worse. Um, So you're you're contributing to a fairer system, but at the same time, still, you know, saving less than petrol and diesel drivers. And if the system works then, you know, we could thought, we could see it being rolled out to petrol and diesel drivers further down the road. So are you saying you would have this driving per mile cost in addition to the road tax or not? Or you take the road tax off altogether? So uh, it would be, um, it's something that electric vehicles don't pay. So it would be new for them. If mm. it were rolled out to petrol and diesel, we would say absolutely. It's, it's a replacement for the current system. Yeah. So no fuel duty, no vehicle excise duty. Right. You would just pay per mile driven. Right. Because one of the ways they structure the road tax currently, and I know you call it vehicle excise duty, which is the correct way to describe it, but people kind of know it as road tax. Um, Different cars pay different amounts of road tax, depending on how so-called polluting they are. Um, So would you have to have different levels of road tax, of of sort of road paid paper road mile used? So we've suggested that it will be based on how much your car weighs. So that's how much of you know you're affecting the, is that how the much your car weighs with you in it or with without anybody in it <laughs> no how much the, the, how much the vehicle itself weighs right. um, but there are other things as you say you could take into account how polluting the vehicle is right. um we've also suggested because i know listeners will say well i drive for work or i live rurally i don't have you know i have to drive my car is important mm. to me we absolutely recognize that suggested is that there would be a, a mileage allowance yeah. calculated most likely on where your car is registered, so your home address. Mm. And if you live in a rural area, somewhere that's very poorly served by public transport, you would get a, a quite high free mileage allowance. And then you would only pay for the miles you drive over mm. and above that. I mean, and would this mean that whoever is in charge of fixing the roads might actually have some money to fix the roads? Because we've been told that it's going to cost billions to fix all the potholes. And today, um, an incredible statistic, 52,000 people's cars been damaged in April alone just by going into potholes. We seem to have a sort of pothole crisis in this country and nobody seems to have the money to pay for fixing them. Yeah, so, you know, we've suggested one of the ways, you know, we don't want this to be seen as a purely a revenue raiser. People always feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm being charged for driving my car. It's important to me. I'm just, I'm, people are trying to penalise me for driving. We're not. We're just trying to recognise that cars do cause wear on the road. They do cause pollution. So it's something that we have to take into account. But that that, that money absolutely should be reinvested in maintaining local and national highways, but also, you know, buses, other types of public service, um, public transport, sorry, but also potentially in scrappage schemes. Mm. So, you know, better incentives to help people who want to financially, uh, who want to upgrade to a less polluting car, 
that the finances don't quite work for them. If this money was used uh, alongside improving roads, also improving the cars on the roads, it would be better for everyone. Maybe so. The problem is, though, that you've got people like Sadiq Khan who want to give you congestion charging and road charging and tolls and everything else. They just want to keep piling on more and more taxes on the motorists. And I think a lot of motorists get fed up with it. I mean, the report does also look at congestion charging and the report concludes it's a good idea. It will make roads faster so people will spend less time idling in traffic and there are huge economic benefits than not wasting everyone sat in their cars. But we need to be more sophisticated about it and we need to make sure that people understand it's not about raising money. It's about improving the driving experience, improving your day by not having you sitting in traffic and improving the environment for everyone because we don't have cars idling. We need but, to make but it sure doesn't work in, but it doesn't work in London, does it? Well, the London system is very blunt. Uh, it's quite simplistic. You can pay the charge and then you can drive anywhere within the congestion zone. Even if you go in once, you know, you just sort of brush the edge of the congestion zone or you can go in and spend the entire day in there. The charge doesn't. It's a it's a blunt toll. Right. It's, it's a charge per day. Actually, in other countries that use congestion charging, they have quite sophisticated systems based on you know how busy the road is at that particular moment, individual roads, individual times. That's quite a complex system to administer. Usually requires a lot of uh, cameras and number plate recognition. Mm. So you know there are concerns about that from a privacy perspective. But at the same time, you know we we talk in the report about how the fact that London's system is quite a blunt tool means it doesn't work as effectively as congestion charging in other parts right. of the world. Well, I mean we've got no shortage of cameras. We've got no shortage of, of congestion charge areas. But but quite simply, ever since the congestion charge has been brought in, London is more congested. It's simple as that. So it's whatever whatever the reason for them wanting to do it, it isn't working in any way, shape or form. Well, exactly. As I say, it's, it's because you just pay a flat charge and then you can drive in the congestion zone all day if you really wanted to. Or as actually, you know, somewhere like Singapore, as I said, it's it's times of day, it's different roads and you can look and go, OK, well, this road is particularly, you know, the, the charge is high now because mm. it's, tra it's full of traffic. If I wait half an hour, the charge is lower, I'll go then instead. And that actually does have an impact on congestion because it's a more nuanced system. Yeah. Well, we'll see whether it can be done. But certainly, I think we're going to see the end very soon of, of people with electric vehicles not paying any kind of tax on them at all. Well, the government has already announced that they'll be paying road tax uh, from, I think, 2025. And yeah. we did, you know, a number of focus groups of polling for this. And, and electric vehicle owners do say, you know, we expect to pay some some tax uh, that, you know, they, they don't think they're going to get a free ride forever. But it's important. That's that very they good still... of them. <laughs> Uh, it's important that, that they pay less because they have made a more environmentally conscious decision and, you know, the road pricing, as we've suggested it, would take that into account. Mm, very good. Emma, thanks very much indeed. Emma Revel, Head of Communications at uh, the Centre for Policy Studies, uh, saying that basically if you are uh, the owner of an electric vehicle, there will come a time when it won't be free anymore. Uh, you will be paying more tax. And I'm not sure uh, I'm in favour of rolling out any new taxes for uh, motorists until they start getting rid of the old ones. You know, get rid of the road tax. Maybe people will pay per mile. But how about you take another way to look at the, these things and you don't keep punishing motorists for doing what it is that they have to do. As Emma said, by far and away the most popular form of travel in this country is driving a car. There's a reason for that. It's because you have to. People do not drive for pleasure in this country because it's not very pleasurable for most people, I'm afraid. And so when you are driving, you're doing it because you're either having to do it for work or you're having to take your kids to school, you're having to go shopping because there simply is no other way to go. That's it. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, I've got some great news for you. Apparently Sadiq Khan's book is out tomorrow. <laughs> Get your orders in here. Uh, I know that basically they were trying to um, sell tickets to something Sadiq Khan was doing, uh, like reading from his book or something ridiculous. It's called Tackling the Climate Emergency. The headline uh, is Breathe. <sighs> Dear me. Anyway, um, in case you're wondering, we might see if we can get our hands on it and, uh, you know, read liberally from passages of it. Can you imagine? I'm sure it's not exactly um, Dickens. I wouldn't have thought. Anyway, let's talk to Bryn Harris, Chief Legal Counsel at the Free Speech Union, because this morning uh, we read another story uh, about mathematics and about why mathematics is apparently um, being politicised. Now, you might wonder how that could be possible. Don't worry, the wokists can politicise absolutely anything. So more than 50 of Britain's leading mathematicians have accused bosses in the sort of standards of education business of politicising the curriculum with new diversity guidance. Let's find out what's going on. Uh, Bryn, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Good to be here. Um, how do you politicise a mathematics curriculum exactly? What are they up to? Well, with difficulty by the... <laughs> so... Um, this is really um, uh, sort of asking mathematicians to, uh, you know, consider the what they say are the marginalised voices um, in the history of mathematics. Mm. Now, the uh, the response uh, from these mathematicians is absolutely clear, uh, and I endorse it wholly. They are saying, ignore this, you teach and research according to your academic expertise and your judgment. And I think that is absolutely the message. Academics, you know, they, they need to start asserting and believing in their academic freedom. Right. And the, you know, law will back them. The Office for Students will back them. And the Free Speech Union will back them. And I think this is a tremendously encouraging fight back from this you know, formidable group of mathematicians who are saying, look, this is our business. We, right. know, we know our maths uh, and we know what's relevant and, and what the QAA is pushing uh, is not relevant at all. No. And of course, this word diversity keeps cropping up and inclusion keeps cropping up. And I, I think like a lot of words in the woke dictionary, it's kind of become a law unto itself. You know, you can sort of use it to describe almost anything. And the thing that always worries me about the wokists of this world is that they'd love to re sort of constitute everything and they like to redefine everything so that words kind of cease to have any meaning in the end. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think the problem is is that here the QAA has really picked on the wrong crowd, um, you know, picked on uh, you know, and obviously intellectually formidable discipline, um, where you know they're precise with their ideas and they're precise with their words, and this is something that that keeps on happening. Hmm. That, that you know, institutions like the QAA they they try to boss around people who clearly. Um, aren't going to stand for it. And I think that the QAA and others need to, to realise they're not going to win these arguments. When they go up against mathemati mathematicians, physicists, philosophers, um, you know, they're, they're not going to win this because these people know what they're doing and they, they know their discipline. So yes. I think we really need to, to celebrate people like John Armstrong, the, who drafted the letter and the signatories, um, because, you know, they're, they're showing that, you know, you can stand up against these encroachments you yeah. can say i respect diversity but it's up to me how i teach my course and how i do my research yeah and, and it, it, also, it, it also kind of drives people away you would think i mean they're often saying things like you know we need more mathematicians or we need more scientists we need more people to study these types of subjects 
And if you're going to make them sort of very, very um, constricted, if you like, and, and, and subject to lots of sociological mores and lots of different kind of rules, yeah, that's going to discourage even more people, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, a friend of mine who's a, a zoologist uh, was wondering, um, you know, look, if, if, if I have to start teaching about gender and sex, that's going to make zoology pretty difficult <laughs> because, um, because insects uh, don't have gender. They, they have sex. And so, you know, there's only so far you can go in, in, in imposing this stuff uh, without making the, the discipline gibberish. Right. Uh, this stuff doesn't belong there. And, and, you know, they're absolutely right to stand up and say, look, this is our territory and we know it and we're not going to be pushed around by whatever the QAA is. A yes. I mean, there's some very odd words being used. They noted, these maths professors, that the, CA, the QAA did not recommend teaching, in their words, the universality of mathematical truth. I'm not really sure what that means. Um, the use of statistics to disprove historical racial theories or about the Jewish mathematicians persecuted by Nazis. I mean, well, where are they going with all that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think um, the, the basis is that, you know, the, the, the people who have dominated disciplines like mathematics have been, um, you know, historically the, 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 the wrong people. They've, they've not been diverse enough. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite sure that the signatories to that letter, um, you know, would have a very fair, decent sense that, yeah, it, it would be good if, you know, the, the discipline reflected the demography of the country. Mm. I think their point is that's a separate question. That's that's not a mathematical question. Right. And you can't fiddle the numbers um, so that you make mathematics something it's not, so that you make it, you know, some sort of statement of social justice because the, the, the numbers and the maths don't lie. Yeah, yes. Another, another phrase that means absolutely nothing. Social justice seems to me to mean anything you want it to mean. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, it seems to be a movable feast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, I, I come back to the point that you have these quite mushy, wobbly ideas of social justice, you know, and, and they're not necessarily thought through. They're very fashionable. They're quite easy to, to parrot. And it, it's not going to survive first contact with proper, rigorous mm. academic debate. And, and I mean, you know, the thing that I want to stress is that academics really need to start realizing that they're free to stand up and say, well, you know what? We're the guys with the ideas, mm. with the debate, and we think that this ideology that you're pushing is—it's uh, kind of junk. It doesn't make sense. Right. You know, we we can critique it, and I, I think it's you know realizing that they have the freedom to do that, and they do. And I think a very encouraging thing I'll just say, you know, the Office for Students, which which is the actual regulator of universities, is making really encouraging noises. There's a very good CEO, uh, and she's you know absolutely sound, and she gets it with academic freedom. Yes. And it looks as though the Office for Students are saying that they, don't, they no longer sort of work hand in glove with the QAA uh, on regulating English universities. They actually kind of have split away from them, which is a good piece of news, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, so, you know, it's going to get better. You know, there's going to be a director for academic freedom coming in. We think it's going to be RF Ahmed. You know, so there's, there's increasing support. You know, so if academics do stand up, you know, they, they are going to get backing, I think. Yes, I think so. And perhaps then it will lead to a bit more of the sort of the deconstructing of much of the wokery going on in higher education generally, because, of course, a lot of people tell me that they are frightened to speak out in a lot of universities because they might be ostracised or they might be kind of punished in some way for having uh, committed some kind of thought crime. 
absolutely. And you know, the QAA has said that this 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 is just guidance. You know, it, there's no obligation to it. Mm. But I think there's there's certain dishonesty with that because we all know that when you introduce something like this, it creates pressure and it creates fear. You know, it it, it would make any reasonable employee think, well, look, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my career mm. prospects if I don't go along with this? Um, so it's you know it's reasonable for for yeah, especially junior academics to think, well, you know, maybe I, I've just got to got to go with the crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's why I think the academics really need to know the protections that they have when they stand up, um, not just the, the security in their own intellectual arguments, but also, you know, the backing of the law um, and the backing of the regulator. Now, even though there are whole layers of middle management in universities churning this stuff out furiously, you know, universities aren't run for the middle managers. You know, it's about the academics mm. and what they freely teach their students you know that's what it's about and it is uh, actually meant to be about debate and it is meant to be about the garnering of knowledge from all sorts of places it's not meant to be about teaching a specific doctrine that nobody else can question is it yeah exactly and i think as well if, if we end up with a, a generation of students uh, uh that's been taught that this stuff is is uncontroversial you don't need to argue it you know you just need to consume it these basic truths about you know, sort of decolonization and white privilege or, or whatever, if they're taught that they don't need to, you know, debate this, attack it, question it, you know, there's a real danger. We'll have a generation of students and ultimately a generation of judges, lawyers, MPs, civil servants, you know, who haven't properly been equipped mm. um, uh, to, to, to be intellectually curious and, and, and intellectually cautious. And that's a huge danger to all of us. Yeah, absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. Bryn, good to talk to you. Thank you. Bryn Harris, Chief Legal Counsel at the Free Speech Union, on this latest woke nonsense about mathematics and how it should have diversity and inclusion at its heart. Well, sorry, yeah, that's not what mathematics is all about. Mathematics is all about hard sums and mathematics. And that's what you need to learn about. You need to learn about anything else, quite frankly. This is Talk TV. Coming up in the next hour, we've got Peter Cardwell, who's going to run the line over Prime Minister's questions. That gets underway very shortly. Uh, we'll also be talking, of course, to more of you, uh, because we've got lots of you to, uh, to question. And Rupert Bell is going to be here as well uh, to tell us why we're supposed to be paying up and coughing up for Prince Harry's legal fees. Unbelievable. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.